You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely partner, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey, how's it going? I'm great. Thank you. We are happy to be back in Toronto this week after a week of work and play and family in Jamaica, but I unfortunately brought something home from Jamaica with me. What's that, Dr. Jess? (laughs) I brought a little case of ITS. What's ITS? It's itchy tits syndrome. (laughs) It's a scientific term. The scientific term. I tried to convince the doctor of it. I tried to convince the ultrasonographer of it. I think I tried to convince the chiropractor it was a thing, and no one believes me. ITS, itchy titty syndrome. Do you want to tell everyone why that happened? Itchy tits? Yeah. Well, I spend a lot of time in the water. I probably spend six, seven, eight hours a day in the salt water, and I do tricks on my paddleboard. If you follow along. On Instagram, you'll see what she's talking about. I do it for the gram. I do it for the fans. What can I say? I can tell you that when I do stuff for the gram, I end up breaking bones and hurting myself for weeks on end. Not me. I have a stronger core than this guy. So in playing in the lagoon and seawater, I had a, many, many uh, jellyfish. Uh, I guess they're not really stings. They're little bites and it's it's actually the jellyfish larvae it's not a real jellyfish sting i've had those before they're painful this is just super annoying where it almost looks like a a rash or a little tiny mosquito bites all over your body and what they do is they get caught in your swimsuit so the parts that your swimsuit covers in my case i wear a bikini so just the top and the bottom that's where they get lodged. And so if you have a shower in your swimsuit, it makes it worse. And I did that. So anyhow, I'm super, super itchy, although it's been calming down. I just really wanted to try and make up a new term, ITS. All roads lead to itchy tit syndrome. It's true. I don't know if any of you out there have had itchy boobs. It's the weirdest feeling because you're just scratching and scratching and you're not used to, I guess, guys, you scratch your balls all the time. You know, sometimes you got to do a little adjustment. You asked for a ball scratcher for Christmas. (laughs) We didn't. (laughs) But you're going to. I am now. Yeah, I didn't know that was an option. Now that you know it exists. (laughs) Anyhow, we are back at it. Happy to be here. Want to give a big shout out to Desire Resorts and Cruises for their ongoing support. We are heading out on a cruise very soon. We'll be heading to Nice to begin with, and then we'll be traveling around, and we'll probably be broadcasting from the cruise. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's not. A, it's a hard job because it's kind of 24-7, honestly. But I can't complain. It's pretty fun. It is a lot of work. Surprisingly, uh, a lot of fun work, but um, a lot happening on those. A lot those. of being on, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot happening on those ships. If you do listen and you're coming on the cruise, make sure you come say hi, especially to Brandon. He loves to be recognized. Yeah, every now and then somebody recognizes me. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I think one out of every 10 million people knows me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's that high. No, probably not. <laughs> there are a lot of people on earth. So today we're going to talk about a couple of things. One is a question that is really relevant to our life. This guy says to me, he gives a little bit of background about his wife and about himself. And then he basically says, how do I get my wife to put down her phone? Actually, he used an expletive in there, but I edited it out. So he's really mad that she's always on the phone. And I think this is a really good question because I struggle with this. 
Oh, I'm completely addicted to technology. Are you actually addicted? Okay. I'm, I use the term addicted. What I mean is I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know. Like I'm stuck in my ways where I'm like, oh, I need to be on my phone or my computer or my tablet. And addicted is one of those words we often use to scapegoat our own behavior because you just spend too much time on your phone. And I'm not telling you, you do it any more than I do it because I definitely do it. And I, I think oftentimes when we ask something of our partner, we need to begin with ourselves. So I was working with a group of couples the other day and one of the groups was complaining that, oh, their partners were always on their phones, they're always checking emails, they're always working, and they were really chastising them. And the message was, oh, we'd have more sex with you if you didn't work so much and if you just put down your damn phones. And this was a group of entrepreneurs and their partners. So this complaint was coming from the partners and directed specifically at the entrepreneurs. But then the entrepreneur group came in and they turned around and said, hey, you guys are always on your phones too. You're always scrolling through feeds and updating social media and reading articles. So you may not be working in the paid sense, but you're still allowing this technoference to interfere in our connection. And I find this happens in our relationship all the time. If it's late at night and I see you on your phone, I'll get irritated with you. I'm like, come on, man, put down your phone. But I do the exact same thing. So if I'm on it, it doesn't bother me. But when you're on it, it bothers me. And that makes me, you know, be a little hypocritical. Yeah, I I see that happening. And like you said, really, it's a it's a criticism probably of yourself it's easy to scapegoat and be like oh i'm addicted i'm not addicted i get that but i do see certain behaviors that i think we all a lot of us fall into you get up you use your phone as your alarm you're checking your phone you're immediately connected i've changed my routine up a little bit where the first 30 minutes when i'm awake i don't check my phone the only thing i do is i uh, turn on my coffee machine from my iPad, but I make a concerted effort not to. But uh, hang on, you're using your iPad to turn on the coffee machine downstairs. Yeah, man. I thought you were using Google Home. I always hear you yelling at Google. (laughs) Well, I don't think it's appropriate to yell in the morning if other people are asleep. Hey Google, six o'clock in the morning. Hey Google. but I do, uh, I make an effort not to check it for the first 30 minutes and to be more present with some silly things that I'm doing, like shaving. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's like trying to be more um, just present in the moment, which is a difficult concept for me to wrap my mind around uh, in the sense that it's like be more mindful when you're shaving or brushing your teeth. I don't do it throughout the day, but I am making an effort to just be like, okay, so this is what I'm doing right now. I'm focusing on it because the last few months I've been really more mindful of time wasted Uh, throughout the day. Now you're doing a talk soon on time management. I am. I'm doing a presentation to my real estate company about time management. And oh, I I mean, a lot of the information that I present is things that I've tried or I do on my own. And I've just noticed how much time I waste online, social, email, web browsing. And I think on the myth of multitasking, I think that we think we can be doing two things at once, but apparently the research shows otherwise. Yeah, it's really, really interesting stuff. I mean, the amount of time that you spend on important tasks throughout the day. So I made a list of things that I do throughout the day, and it wasn't a comprehensive list. It was a general list. And when I thought about what I'm working towards and what I work on throughout the day, I realized that 80% of what I'm doing isn't really that urgent. It doesn't mean it doesn't need to be done. It's just not urgent in terms of 
progressing towards the goals that I'm working towards. And technology isn't just an interfering, interfering element. It's also, it's a distraction. And you were telling me the other day about how five minutes of distraction actually amounts to more minutes of distraction or something like that. Yeah, I can't quote the survey or sorry, the study off the top of my head uh, who conducted it, but it essentially was for every eight minutes of work, um, you're sorry, every eight minutes you're distracted. So there's some form of a distraction and that distraction consumes five of those eight minutes from shifting your focus away from the current task at hand to dealing with the interruption and refocusing back on the initial task. Because out of every eight minutes of work, because that's how frequent a disruption happens, only three minutes are actually spent on the task, which I found fascinating until I started realizing how much I am distracted. Well, and so we're talking about work here, but if we bring it back to relationships, I imagine that the same principles would would apply. And You know, when I think about my hypocrisy in not wanting you to be on your phone, but then sometimes on my phone, I just want to remind this person, you know, before you try and convince your wife to put down her phone, ask yourself if you need to do the same. Because even if you allow it to interfere to a lesser degree or at a different time, every time you're on your phone, she is likely to pick up hers. And technoference, this is a research area, is becoming the norm in relationships and research shows that the mere presence of a phone detracts from concentration, connection, trust, presence, intimacy. And in one study, they compared the interactions in three scenarios. So in one scenario, you have your phone on the table where you can see it. In the next, you have your phone in your pocket. And then in the third, the phone is actually left outside the room. And no surprise, the third scenario was associated with the highest levels of empathy, intimacy, and trust. So it might seem like something very simple, but the number one thing I believe you can do for your relationship in in terms of managing technoference is to take the damn phone out of the bedroom. Do not bring it in. And you and I have had different periods, let's say over the last five years, where we've been really good about this. And we have, I think, reaped the rewards. And then we, you know, fall into the bad habit of bringing it back in. And I hear people all the time tell me, oh, well, it's my alarm clock. Please, people, stop making excuses. Put a dollar in a jar until you have enough dollars to go to the dollar store and buy an alarm clock. Because... That's only one dollar. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to the dollar store. You kidding, man? The dollar store is expensive now. It's more than a dollar. Yeah, two dollar items there. This is a totally different gripe from me. Dollar, the dollar store should just be a dollar. But yeah, I mean, take your phones out of the bedroom. And I know it feels really weird because you have become accustomed to scrolling and going asleep to your going to sleep to your feed, and scrolling and waking up to your feed. And I know this is a really bad habit of mine because. I've been really tired the last little while. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm trying to get it checked out because I I usually don't need a lot of sleep. I usually have a ton of energy, but I'm really tired. And in the morning, I don't want to get up. And so what do I do? I go get my phone and I turn on my emails and that wakes me up right away. And that's a terrible habit that I need to break. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. And I think, you know, ultimately, we're guilty of doing things that we say we're not going to do. But it's step one is catching yourself. 
And if we can do it 50% of the time, we're better off than zero. And if we can work our way up to 80, we're still better off. And you know, it's not just about the distraction of cell phones in the bedroom. The blue light actually interferes with sleep, which of course adversely affects relationships because the light emitted by phones and laptops and tablets, even if you put it on silent mode, it's what they call short wavelength enriched, which means that it contains high levels of blue light, which interfere with the sleep supporter hormone melatonin. And when we don't get a good night's sleep, we're more likely to fight with our partner. We're less adept at resolving conflicts. If we do get in a fight, we're more likely to make poor food choices. We're less inclined towards sex. So it's this snowball effect. So you know, one one thing is to not bring your phones into the bedroom and to model this. If you want your wife to put her phone down, put your phone down. And then the, the next is, is to suggest having a phone-free dinner. Um, you know, to really say we're taking a tech break, we're going to leave our phones in the car or in the closet or, if you know, wherever you are. I don't care where you put your phone. But can you go through dinner without your phone? Putting your phone away, like physically putting it somewhere, like putting it in a drawer, I feel like made a big difference for me. Recently, I've been taking my phone out of my pocket and putting it in my man bag, my <laughs> satchel that yes. Jess calls my my Merce. I love when he carries his Merce because then I put all my stuff in it and I don't have to bring one. But anyway, I had <laughs> been putting my phone in there and what I found was that accidentally realized that my stress levels were lessened throughout the day because Hmm. normally when my phone is buzzing I have this immediate like anxiety spike Mm -hmm. and whether it's good or bad anxiety in the sense that I want to check who the message from is everything okay everything on point but not having in my pocket but having it close by just removed it from that immediate sensation and then also realizing that hey an hour went by oh I need to check my phone. I've been working away on my laptop or whatever it is. And then you check your phone and you're like, yeah, you got a few messages to get back to, but the world has continued. It has not burned to the ground. Right. And when we think about anxiety, oftentimes when you have anxiety, you try and avoid the trigger. And that only serves to intensify the anxiety. The way you address anxiety is by exposing yourself to that anxiety. So if you're afraid that the world is going to end, if you don't check your phone, you usually are inclined to check your phone to make sure the world doesn't end. But if you leave your phone for half an hour, for an hour, for a day, for two days, and the world's still standing, your anxiety is assuaged. And so another option, and something we've done in the past, is we've banned electronic devices for the last two hours of the day. So we at one point it was 8.30 p.m., at one point it was 9.30 p.m. And just that, you know, taking a break right before you go to bed And as you said, for half an hour when you get up, I'd love to get it to an hour when we get up. I know there's people out there because I fell into this group that are going to say, you know, I I can't do that. There's too many important things going on. And yes, there are extenuating circumstances that require you to respond. But most nights, or I'm sure some nights, Mm -hmm. you can shut it off and you can even just start there because I'm I'm not locking my phone away for a day at this point. I'm, I'm lucky if I'm locking my phone away or if I'm away from my phone for more than an hour. Uh, or not responding between the hours of what, 7.30 in the morning and 9.30 at night? Yeah, one thing that bothers me is this excuse of, oh, I can't, right? My job is more difficult. My business is more demanding. But ultimately, if you don't want to put down your phone, it's because you don't want to. You said something to me months ago. You said, we're not saving babies. And to those of you that are saving babies and need to answer your phone or whatever it is that's super important. Saving lives. Saving lives is what I mean. You know what? Answer your phone. Right. It, it's life or death. 
But when you said that to me, I really, I took it to heart and I was like, you're right. This is very important what I do, but if it needs to wait an hour or 30 minutes or two hours, the world will not come to an end. And when I started taking that approach, I, it really changed things for me. And I found I, I am able to focus more on being present. Yeah. And you know, another thing we've, we've tried, and I really have liked this, is going for a walk or a bike ride or some sort of exploration without bringing the phone, without using the map app. Because, you know, technology is grand and it can help you to see more relevant places and it can, you know, lead you to cool places that, you know, have great coffee and great food. But it also detracts from discovery and the excitement of the unknown. So once in a while, whether you're on vacation, exploring a new city, or you're simply wandering the streets of your own neighborhood, can you leave the phone with the map app at home and just let spontaneity and unpredictability take over because these are keys to lasting passionate relationships so the more you create opportunities for impromptu discovery the more excitement you're going to feel in life and in love and with your partner yeah and i don't even know that you necessarily need to leave your phone at home if you're not comfortable with that turn your phone off for those 30 minutes that it's going to take for you to get from point a to point b brennan always puts his phone on airplane mode when he's talking smack about people (laughs) (laughs) who do i talk smack about no just when we're messing around and being goofy you're like oh i gotta put my phone on airplane mode people to know the stupid stuff i do behind the scenes like the other day when i stuck my face in a watermelon you know i've been itching to tell everybody oh my gosh so the other day there was a watermelon on the counter and i said to brandon who do you think can take a bigger bite out of this watermelon without using their hands. And then as soon as I turned on my camera, performer Brandon came on and shoved his face in that watermelon with a big bop. And he hurt his neck. And now he's seeking chiropractic treatment. So I feel like you should just repost that video because it was awesome on so many different levels. But just to give everybody some context, I'd hurt my neck before. I have a recurring, I have this ongoing neck issue, and I'd hurt it about a week earlier. But like you said, as soon as you turned on that video, it was all or nothing. And man, did I hurt my neck again. My doctor was like, you're an idiot. He just wants me to repost this video because he thinks this video is so funny. Can I just tell you that while we were away for the last week, he was walking around with his phone showing everyone the video. He was like, hey, I'm Brandon. I'm not that great in person, but please watch my watermelon video because it's so funny. Anybody who watches the Netflix show Huge in France and that entertainer Gad who walks around with a video of how important he is in France, that's me. Yeah, so the Huge in France is a Netflix show about a comedian who's a big name in France. But when he comes to the United States, to L.A., no one knows who he is. So he's walking around saying, hello, I'm Gad. That's his name. And here's a video of me being so famous. So that is Brandon with his watermelon video. He's that's, all, that's all I've got. So, you know, I don't have uh, a magic pill. When, when we think about phones and technoference, it's just a matter of choice. It's just a matter of conscious choice because if you fall into the mindlessness of scrolling, you will not be mindful and in the moment. So I can't really tell you how to get your partner to put down her phone, but I can suggest how you can model that behavior by either banning electronic devices for yourself before you go to bed, waking up for half an hour or an hour without any any electronic devices, not bringing them in the bedroom, getting a box where you put your phones during dinner, going for that map-free walk. Those are just places to start, obviously not using it as your alarm. Some people will say, oh, I, I need to read my emails to help wake me up. And as I mentioned, I fall into this. But here's the thing. 
If you live in North America, you have running water. Most people have running water that I know. So we're very lucky to have running water, by the way, because there are other people I know who do not. Um, so running water is just as much of a pick-me-up early in the morning. Some people say they like to scroll through their phone at night because it helps them to relax. And, you know, I, I believe that the phone offers some dose of relaxation, but the science surrounding blue light actually says that it's interfering with your sleep. So let's stop making excuses. Let's leave your phone in another room. Let's set some rules for ourselves to follow. And actually, it's a really good reminder for you and me because we need to keep up the habit and not break the rule of bringing the phone into the room because it, it does make a big difference. And, you know, you can blame technology for relationship problems, but really it's not technology. It's the behavior behavior that's leading to friction and mindlessness and conflict because as humans the phone doesn't control you you're in charge of how you use your phone so let's take control make those changes today and hopefully you know you your phone habits will have less of a, a negative impact on your relationships yeah i agree so what are we going to do differently i feel like when we tell other people to make a commitment i, I got to leave my phone downstairs I have to do a better job of that. For me, the game changer the last, like I said, handful of months is just focusing my time and being efficient. Because what I end up doing is it's 8.30, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. Oh, I need to send out a few more emails, this or that. It's like if I had been more efficient throughout the day and just I'm, I, do, I, I do do a lot throughout the day, but I just notice that it drags on. Be very focused and for me. And that way I can turn the phone off knowing I've done everything I needed to do. But more importantly, if you don't get it all done, if you say you're going to stop at 8.30, stop at 8.30. And you've made that commit commitment to me in the past and you've broken it. Yeah, of course. And yeah. I, I've done the same. I, I have a little more flexibility in my job because Brandon works in a field where, you know, it's highly competitive. His staff is waiting on him. You know, people aren't generally calling the next sexologist <laughs> if I don't reply <laughs> within an hour. But you have to also just make that commitment. So what time are you shutting your phone off tonight? Nine o'clock. And tomorrow? It's Friday. 9.30. No, just kidding. The other way around. Um, I actually set the screen time app on my phone, which helps a lot too, because it, it reminds you. It says, hey, you've got five minutes left before your apps shut down. Oh. And you can actually shut your apps down. And that made a big difference because even if you extend beyond, it says, are you uh, going to ignore your your technolo technology shutdown. So period. you set a limit on your use and then Apple reminds you to stop using it. And if you override it, they judge you. <laughs> and that's enough <laughs> to make you shut me. down. Yeah, that's it. All right, I want to address one other topic unrelated to technology. But this person says, hey, Jess, I've heard you talk about how to get over a cheater, but I'm the one who cheated. My wife knows and we say we're working on staying together, but I'm so afraid I'm going to lose her. So that sucks and I'm, and I'm sorry and I appreciate that you're being open and honest and looking to work on your relationship and I've said it before and I'll say it again that the world is not divided into just good people and bad people or cheaters and non-cheaters. It's a behavior. It's something that you might have done once or twice or even 10 times and it doesn't mean you have to do it again. I do not believe that you know, once a cheater, always a cheater because you can absolutely change your behavior. And I think the first step really involves taking responsibility. So acknowledge the wrong or acknowledge your own behavior without excuses. And oftentimes people will ask me how they can know whether or not a partner will cheat again or how they can know if they're going to cheat again. And one of the most important indicators, in my opinion, involves your reaction to the behavior. So do you accept responsibility or do you try and deflect blame 
And if you accept responsibility, then you can make changes. But if you want to just blame someone else, it's going to be hard to make those behavioral changes because you have no control over anyone else. But when you talk about taking responsibility, you're not saying taking responsibility and disclosing to your partner immediately. You're just saying acknowledging your own behavior internally. Yes, but you probably, when you're apologizing or talking to your partner, also want to acknowledge your role in this and accept responsibility because his wife already knows. It's not like he hasn't Oh, oh the her. partner's wife. Yeah, that's what he's uh, saying there. Already knows. Um, and then the next piece is really to listen to your partner. Give them permission and and give them whatever support they need to express how they're feeling and what they're thinking, even if how they're feeling doesn't seem very rational, even if what they're thinking seems outlandish. You know, it's important to understand how the cheating or how your behavior made them feel. So what are the underlying feelings that need to be addressed in order to move forward? Because everyone's reaction to cheating is different. You might think, oh, well, I would feel really insecure and someone else might feel something entirely different. So emotional reactions, just they're simply not universal. Uh, You know, I might be really angry or someone else might be really jealous. And so you want to make space for them to feel what they're feeling. And you can support them, but really, I think you need professional support. So get help. You may not need months or years and years of counseling. Some people do, some people don't. But just even a few sessions with a good therapist or counselor can go a long way. And, you know, think about what might be right for you because you could do cognitive behavioral therapy you could do solution focused therapy narrative therapy Uh, there are so many approaches to consider beyond the old school lie on a couch psychotherapy so go get help on your own and encourage your partner to get help too Um, and they have a right to kind of bring up how they feel about past behavior when it's bothering them. So let's say you get over this and you work together and you have a happy relationship and two years from now, some of those feelings come back up for them. You know, they're entitled to say, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling angry again or I'm feeling shameful again or I'm feeling insecure again. And because emotion, emotion is fluid. And so they might feel okay for a while and then not feel so okay. Now, what they don't have a right to do, in my opinion, is to fling your transgression at you during arguments about unrelated topics moving forward. And this is, you know, I think we, we would all be inclined to do that because it hurts when you cheat. And so I think a therapist or a good counselor can help them to manage the desire to do this. And in addition to seeing a therapist, you might find that tracking your own changes will help. So perhaps you want to keep a diary or a journal, even in point form, of the way you're working to change the way you think and the way you behave so that you can check in and share your progress with your partner. Because just because, you know, you made this mistake as big and as you know, challenging or devastating as it can be, doesn't mean that you're not entitled to self-care and to be cared for too. Uh, you probably can't ask your par- partner to be the sole support as you work through this, but you know, you need to be taken care of too. And I think that keeping track of how you're feeling with some sort of a, a journal can help. And you're going to want to keep checking in with your partner. Uh, even let's say you go to therapy for a few months and you're feeling better and you feel you've moved on and maybe your relationship even improves because of the support you're receiving, I would suggest you keep checking in with one another to see how you're feeling and talk a little bit more openly about 
probably about your sex life, probably about your emotional connection, because usually one or both of those things are involved in, in cheating. Based on your interaction with, you know, partnerships that have had a partner who's cheated, do you think most people take responsibility? Because I don't think most people take responsibility for their own actions initially. They find fault in somebody else's behavior that justifies their decision, which probably makes it even harder to overcome initially because it's like, well, I did this because you don't give me sex or I did this because we've been distant or or, or whatever the excuse is rather than saying, yo, I, I did this. This was my decision. This was my action. Our, you know, this is how I've made my partner feel and then letting them feel and express it. I feel like the knee-jerk response is almost like, well, I did it because of this. Well, that's normal because it's a self-preservation tactic. Nobody wants to say, yo, I suck. I screwed up big time. But let's also remember that cheating is not necessarily the worst thing you can do in every relationship. I know that some people feel it's the absolute worst transgression, but not everybody feels that way. You know, over the course of a relationship, you will hurt one another at times because you're human. And cheating is one way you can hurt your partner, but there are other ways we hurt one another and let one another down. And I'm not saying that it's okay to cheat. And I don't want to downplay the emotional and practical toll it can take on the individual and the relationship but we have created a culture in which cheating is the ultimate relationship transgression and i wouldn't say that in terms of emotional stress and relationship strife that it always is sometimes people come back stronger from cheating let me be clear i'm not suggesting you go out and cheat to improve your relationship that's not what i'm saying but i think we just treat cheating as special and especially damaging because there's so much stigma. Do you think that in those instances where people do come back and, and repair or strengthen, do you think it's because they've been forced to have dialogue about something that's really been simmering for a long time and it's been brought to the surface? Sure, I think that's the case in some cases. So for example, if it's about sex, it may be your first time speaking openly about sex, around your desires, around frequency, around fantasy, around proclivities, around boundaries. That that could be part of it. I also think it forces you to, you know, reckon with your own vulnerabilities and come face to face with feelings and with experiences that are uncomfortable. And that vulnerability and a willingness to open up and be intimate, I think can can deepen your understanding and your connection. So I hope that I understand that you feel badly, but I hope I'm not making you feel badly. I hope that you, you know, acknowledge and you're able to move on and and be an even better partner and be more importantly, be someone that you really like, that you're really proud of. Listen, we have all done bad stuff. We have all done stuff that we regret. And we have, again, created this stigma around sexual infidelity that is supposedly the worst thing you can do. And, you know, I see people treat each other really terribly. Sometimes it's just the way you talk to your partner that can be as hurtful. But we don't necessarily see it as so traumatizing 
to the relationship and we just keep going. So relationships come back from cheating all the time. Listen, the data suggests if you look at an aggregate of, uh, you know, multiple studies on cheating over the years in North America, I think the data suggests that 24% of people admit to having cheated. I would say the number is a lot higher than that. Uh, We still see that men cheat more than women, but women are closing the gap. And I do wonder if men are also more likely to admit in survey research that they cheat because the stigma is more intense for women. And uh, there's this pressure to respond one way when your partner cheats. You know, some people feel pressure to hide the affair so that nobody finds out because the shame around being cheated on or being the cheater can be as intense as the act itself. Some people feel they need to break up because they're ashamed to stay. And I think what you really want to examine is what is it you want in life? What is it you want in the long term? Do you want to make a life with this partner? Do you want to keep this partnership you know, going? Do you love this person, like this person, like spending time with this person? Do you feel good about yourself with this person? Because if you answer yes to all of those things, then you know, cheating is surmountable. I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that people should have carte blanche to go out and and cheat when they've agreed not to. And then the last piece I just want to bring up, of course, is that not everybody wants to be monogamous. And if you don't want to be monogamous, and if you find that you are cheating over and over and over again, please consider whether or not you really are monogamous. Maybe you would be better off in a consensually non-monogamous relationship. And I, I want to be careful not to conflate these two topics because people often ask me, what is the difference between cheating and consensual non-monogamy? Well, the difference is consent, <laughs> the informed consent of all parties. But if you do find that you're cheating over and over again, this morning I was on global television talking about celebrity relationships and why we're so affected by what happens in the lives of celebrities and what we can learn from them And one theme I've seen in celebrity relationships, I'm not that well-versed, but what I see in the headlines is that there are these people who continue to cheat over and over and over again. And I'm thinking, why sign up for monogamy if it's not something that works for you? Give yourself permission to custom design your relationship in a way that works for you and your partner, but, and be open from the onset. Wouldn't it just make so much more sense to go into a relationship where if that's what you want, that you have that discussion from the beginning? Because if I was a celebrity Mm -hmm. and that's what I wanted to do, I feel like you're just asking to have mud slung at you in the media because you're going to be constantly doing something that one of your partner, you know what I mean, that society judges you. Are you talking about cheating or being in an open relationship? uh, I'm, I'm talking about somebody cheating. And oh, not yeah. being in a consensually non-monogamous relationship. But it's really hard, I think, for a lot of people to ask for a consensually non-monogamous relationship because we have dictated monogamy as our default. And I think we need to break that down. Monogamy can be a wonderful, beautiful thing, but it is not for everyone, and that is okay. And if you look at the data, consensually non-monogamous relationships are as fulfilling, as long-term, as loving, as passionate, and have basically similar outcomes to monogamous relationships. One is not better than the other but one might be better than the other for you yeah i just i see people saying well you know somebody celebrity status you know men or women are throwing themselves at you and and Mm -hmm. like it's justification for getting into a relationship with somebody else who wants perhaps a monogamous relationship only to realize that the other person doesn't and it's just you're constantly in the headlines like we've i don't really to be honest i don't really care about celebrity relationships in the sense that it doesn't impact my life. Like why do some people get so upset over what they read 
in the headlines. Well, celebrity relationships, we were talking about this 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 morning, fulfill a number of the important components of connection. So when you follow a celebrity on social media, they share what is perceived to be intimate relationship or intimate details. So that's the number one thing. It feels intimate because you've got a behind the scenes of their kids in diapers or what they're eating for lunch or when they're meeting their, their sister or something like that. So it feels intimate, number one. Number two, you have an emotional reaction to them because they're attractive or because there's something alluring about them. So we've got intimacy and emotion. It tends to last over time. You might be following a celebrity for a year, two years, three years, even longer. So we've got those three components. And then there's a bit of mutual, what's perceived to be mutual support. So you might brought by their products, you might like their post, you might comment on their post. And so you've got those four components of intimacy, emotional response, lasting over a period of time and some perceived exchange of support. But here's the thing. It is only one way. (laughs) They're not following you. They're not having an emotional response to you. You don't factor in their life. So it's what we call a parasocial relationship. And then we care because we idealize them. I don't know if you've heard of the halo effect. When somebody excels in one area or we admire them in one area, we spread that admiration to other areas. So let's say they're really funny on TV. Oh, well, they've got to be charming and they've got to be nice. Or let's say they're really skilled at acting and they're really beautiful. We also assume that they're a really nice person and they must be great at relationships. So we give them this superhuman status and then when their relationships fail, we feel, oh my gosh, if this superhuman can't make it work, where am I? Where do I stand as just this regular mortal being? And so that's part of why people are so into celebrity relationships. And I do think we can learn from them as well as, more importantly, from our reactions to them. I'm not super up on celebrity uh, culture. I got a mini lesson this morning from the pop culture <laughs> expert at Global TV because I didn't know who Miley Cyrus's husband's name is, Liam's Hem- Liam Hemsworth. And I asked who it was, and she said, it's Chris Hemsworth's brother. And I was like, oh, who's Chris Hemsworth? So I had to do some learning to catch up. But I hope this helps a little. Uh, I hope you don't feel terrible about yourself. I hope that you feel good about yourself, even if you don't feel good about this specific behavior because you cheated to to you if you're listening. Hopefully you're listening because you sent the question and I'm answering. (laughs) So you certainly can work through it. Um, Any relationship hiccup. I think almost any relationship issue can be overcome. I believe the measure of a relationship is how you feel about yourself in the context of that relationship. Uh, Yes, your partner is going to make you feel great at times. They're going to make you feel badly at other times. But overall, how do you feel about yourself? What is your self-esteem like, your sense of self in the context of that relationship? I think that's a good measure whether you're on your first date or you've been together 50 years. At the risk of sounding totally cheesy, I feel amazing with you. Ah, oh, thank you. I'm not gonna. I'm very emotional this week, so I'm not gonna say how I feel about you. But you know, I, I was thinking of the song "How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You." Can you sing it? Because I can't. No, I'm not gonna. How sweet <laughs> it is to be. Loved. I can't do it. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Now you're just making stuff up. Yeah, I'm just just humming. But it feels good to be loved by you. And I hope wherever you're at, you're feeling loved by yourself, by the folks around you. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Desire Resorts. Thanks, babe. And we'll be back next Friday with a whole new episode. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.